0: Welcome to commissioners and members of the public to this special hearing of the San Francisco Immigrant Rights Commission. We will be attending to a few business items first and then we will begin the special hearing on impacts of the DACA program decision on immigrant communities. Before we get started, uh, may I please ask the executive director to make some announcements. Thank you,
1: Chair. This is a special hearing today, tonight. so it is being uh, audio and videotaped, and speakers should indicate to us um, before they speak if they do not want their uh, full images to be shown. Uh, and this is a reminder that um, if you would like to make a public comment at tonight's hearing, please do the following. i fill out the green speaker's card right up there at the front. i wait for your name to be called by the chair of the commission during public comment Portion of the agenda unless you are an invited speaker please speak clearly and slowly into the microphone for interpreters to interpret your statements because uh, we do have them on site and you will have two to three minutes to make your public comments if you were an invited speaker then uh, please stick to the guidelines that were provided to you earlier um, and again if you are making public comment this evening and do not want your image to be recorded please indicate this when filling out your green comment card uh, located at the uh, sign-in table. And uh, if you forgot to do that, please let us know before you speak. Right? If you have any questions, please uh, see a member of the uh, commission staff.
0: Thank you, Director Pan. Uh, I would now like to ask the clerk to call the roll. Sure. Commissioner Anzani? It's not
2: yet here,
3: Commissioner Fuji. Present. Commissioner Geim will not be attending.
4: Commissioner Gervitz. Present. Chair Connelly Here. Commissioner Kojaste? Here. Commissioner Kong. It's not yet here. Vice Chair Paz. Here. Commissioner Radwan. Here. Commissioner Rahimi will not be joining us. Commissioner Ricarte. Here. Commissioner Roy. Right. Commissioner Wang. Here. Commissioner Wong. Here. The Commission has a quorum. I would also like to remind you that this meeting is being recorded for the public record. Please silence all cell phones at this time.
0: Thank you, Clark. Our first order of business is a review and approval of the minutes from the August 14, 2017 full commission meeting. Uh, colleagues, are there any corrections or edits to the minutes of August 14, 2017, as written?
5: I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Pajaste. All those in favor? Oh, sorry, is there a second?
3: second? Second.
0: Commissioner Roy, thank you. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Aye.
4: Aye.
0: The, the minutes of August 14th, 2017 are passed uh, unanimously as written. Thank you all. As we begin this hearing, I would like to begin by acknowledging the day and the date that this, this hearing falls upon namely September 11th um, 16 years ago we all remember where we were, we remember who we were with we remember what we saw and we remember who was lost and I would like to take a moment to remember those who lost their lives uh, remember those who responded so bravely and courageously uh during the um the, the terrible incident of september eleventh two thousand and one and uh I would like to remember those who carry the burden of that terrible day each day as they live. Thank you. So, Commissioners, as you know, September 5th, 2017 uh, was another day of great upset for many in our nation. The White House announced that the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program, they announced that it would be phased out over the next six months. DACA was a temporary shelter in the storm for nearly 800,000 young immigrants who entered the country as children and were granted a temporary reprieve from deportation so they could learn, work and be safe in these United States. Over 200,000 of those are residing in California. There is little disagreement that young immigrants brought to the United States when they were children are innocent participants in a broken immigration system that Congress has been unable to fix. Just a few months ago, the new president told our young immigrants and DACA holders that they shouldn't be worried because he has a big heart. But his actions have proven otherwise, and now we are all very worried. This reprehensible attack on children and youth violates our core values. DACA holders have proven time after time that they bring value and contribute to America's strength in so many ways. They have the right to expect basic freedoms and human rights. Tonight, we have invited community members to share their stories and let the Commission know how the City of San Francisco can continue to support our DACA holders and all immigrant communities. On this particular day, 9-11, the Immigrant Rights Commission calls on all Americans to continue pushing for common-sense, comprehensive immigration reform. As the country takes one giant leap backwards on immigrant rights, civil liberties equality and inclusion, racial justice, religious freedom, common decency and respect for the rule of law, the Immigrant Rights Commission calls on our senators, our mayor, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, city leaders and departments, businesses and all the people of San Francisco, California and the United States to come together, continue to stand up for our young DACA holders and do the right thing for all America's people. They and a united, fair and inclusive America are worth fighting for. We will hear first from invited speakers and DACA holders. Again, we ask that all speakers and members of the public who wish to make comments please fill out the green card. Melissa is holding an example and deliver to our Executive Director here, uh, Ms. Pan. Uh, Again, this this meeting is being recorded. If anybody would not like to have their full name used, please make us aware in advance, Um, and we thank you for your time being here. Uh, I'm going to call the first five speakers in the order.
6: Excuse me. Yes, sorry. Before you do that, I really
0: apologize. I just uh, looked at the minutes
6: a little more carefully, and I think either my name was misspelled or... My name was left off on the list of
0: attendees. I know it's very difficult. It's very easy to mix up the A and the O. Okay, duly noted. Um, if the clerk can make, thank you, Commissioner. If the clerk can make the addition, uh, and if and add Commissioner Wang as present on for the meeting for August fourteenth. So we have one edit, I'm just going to back this up. We have one edit to the meeting, and that is the addition um, of Commissioner Wang as present for the meeting on August 14th. Uh, do I have a motion to approve the minutes as written with said edition?
7: I move to approve the minutes with said additions.
0: Thank you, Commissioner. And a second? Second. Thank you, Commissioner Ricarte. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you, the minutes are adopted as written with the amendment. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, so, Our first five speakers, I'm going to call you in a batch of five in the order in which we would like you to come and present to us. Uh, And we have Sally Kenoshita, Hong Mei Pang, Richard Whipple, Anna Herrera, and Abigail Trillin. Thank you all for being here. Sally, good evening and welcome.
8: Good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to the Commission and to Executive Director Pond for inviting me. Um, I was asked to give a little overview of the DACA rescission, what this means for DACA recipients and what it means for all of us moving forward. Um, Thank you to the Commission Chair Kennedy, who I actually think did a beautiful job covering a lot of it, which, maybe means I can focus a little bit more on some of the details um, and moving forward. So as the Commission Chair mentioned, um, this is a program that was announced by President Obama in June of 2012. As a result, more than 790,000 young people in the United States were able to get protection from deportation, the ability to work legally, and from that, other benefits, such as a Social Security number, an unmarked driver's license in California, the ability to apply for a bank account or a credit card, um, access to full-scope medical and more on September 5th President Trump's administration announced that they will be ending the they are ending the program and it will be phased out over the next two years so what that means is that those who have DAca will naturally expire according to the expiration date on a work permit they were given by the federal government there's a subset of people who have DACA that will expire in the next six months between the date of the announcement and March 5th. They have until October 5th to renew their DACA, and if it's renewed, they'll have it for an additional two years. So what that means on the ground is we'll see people who have DACA for about two and a half more years, but slowly but surely they will all expire, and in the process, um, folks will lose their protection from deportation and their work authorization. The impact um, in terms of just numbers of people, back in 2015, Migration Policy Institute estimated that about 4,000 San Franciscans were at that time immediately eligible for DACA. We do not have data on the number of people in San Francisco that we know were appro- approved for DACA, at least not from the federal government. Um, but we, the estimates were that about 4,000 were eligible out of at that time, 2015, 45,000 undocumented in the city. Um, What we do know from USCIS, the Federal Immigration Agency's own data, is that, um, as the commission chair mentioned, over 200,000 in California benefited from this program over the past five years, or about 28% of our country's total. Um, So what this means for DACA recipients moving forward, first of all, we're in a critical time right now. As I mentioned, there are a certain percentage of people who have DACA that is expiring now or in the next six months that must file to renew before October 5th, 2017. So as soon as that announcement was made, um, the clock started ticking, and we have potentially hundreds of thousands of people in the United States that we must help now um, apply for that renewal. Um, one of the biggest challenges that people face is the uh, filing fees It costs four hundred and ninety five dollars minimum to uh, apply for this benefit that 's the filing fee that they may that they must pay to the United States to even have their case considered. So we are um, on a ticking timeline right now um, what it means for DACA recipients um, in the meantime as it's phased out is really just a loss of all the benefits that I mentioned, um, protection from deportation and um, access to be able to work legally. Um, however, what this means for us more broadly, of course, is a fiscal impact. I think many of you, if you followed this in the news the last week, have probably seen there are lots of reports on the financial and fiscal impact on communities everywhere all across this, the country um, of the loss of, of the the labor of DACA recipients, but what we've seen on the ground, of course, also is a great threat to the social, cultural, emotional, and societal contributions made by DACA recipients and their, and their immigrant families. Um, so one of the things that we're having DACA recipients do in the meantime is to screen for other immigration options that may already be available to them. We're encouraging them to understand that their constitutional rights do not change and they should know what those rights are as well as practice exercising those rights if they encounter ICE after after they no longer have protection from deportation. Um, And we're seeing a lot of concern and confusion on the ground. I work at a nonprofit here in San Francisco where we're hearing a lot of questions from the community as well as from service providers around whether or not people should move, whether or not they should um, be traveling outside the country or returning to the country right now, and we're tracking a lot of those. Uh, Moving forward, there could be a silver lining to this situation for those of us who work in immigrant rights. There are many federal bills pending in both the House and Senate proposed by both Republicans and Democrats, and some of them bipartisan, that would seek to create a legislative more permanent solution for undocumented young people. Probably the most commonly known one is the DREAM Act, um, which is a bipartisan bill in the Senate, but there are numerous bills. Um, what we've seen in the last five years is really not only um, uh, a, within the immigrant community uh, um, an unwillingness to go back into the shadows and a willingness to continue fighting without fear, but we've also seen a groundswell of support from many other sectors in support of our immigrant families. So what we're hoping for, of course, in the next um, few months is the passage of a bill that not only would um, would provide a let – a legal pathway to getting a green card and eventually citizenship for these young people, but also their families, and we're hoping for a clean bill. And what we mean by a clean bill is something that does not is not used as a bargaining chip to also get a border wall or increased immigration enforcement. Um, Also, I wanna say that here in the state of California, we're really fortunate to have a legislature that is looking for solutions that can also fill gaps. Um, I just learned today that the state of California is proposing another $20 million to roll out immediately for um, legal services and education and outreach contractors to also try to reach and serve the DACA population in what might be a critical, not only month, but six months moving forward. Um, So that is my quick summary. I don't know if I should take questions now or allow I think the other speakers.
0: Yes. So what we're going to do, Commissioners, is we will take brief questions and comments for the first five speakers at the end of the that grouping, if that's okay. Sally, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, and as always, the Immigrant Legal Resource Centre is a huge source of advice, knowledge, and, and and referral for not only the community but for the Commission. So thank you for being here. Hung May Peng. Welcome.
9: Thank you. Good evening, Madam Chair, Executive Director Pan, and all commissioners. Um, thank you very much for having me tonight. Um, I represent um, a local civil rights organization called Chinese for Affirmative Action. And, um, you know, I'm here today to speak on the human impact of the rolling back of DACA. But I think, you know, in context um, of all of the waves of anti-immigrant sentiment and uh, policymaking that we've seen in the last nine months. Um, it is a key moment currently in the immigrant rights movement. We've seen an unprecedented number of systemic attacks on all immigrants, and this these t- attacks are predicated on racist xenophobia that is crystallized through all of the backlash that we've seen in Charlottesville, something that has been represented through the pardoning of Joe Apayo, and it is really an assault on the democratic values that we hold dear in this country. Um, you know, we, we saw that the rolling back of DACA has... Um, impacted so many people, um, my family members included, but that it is not an isolated event. Um, six years ago undocumented youth have, have stood up and said, you know, we want some reprieve and we want some breathing room from an increasingly expanding uh, deportation machine. Um, almost three million people were deported under the Obama administration, a record number of people. Um, and we, we have wanted to uh, really be able to reunite and stay with our families. And five years ago when the DACA program was um, introduced and announced in Rose Garden, I remember watching um, the announcement myself um and you know many people have benefited almost 800,000 youth um have benefited including myself um and my family and you know it was a leap of faith that we took um in in what we believe this country can be inclusive uh, multicultural and we believe that it is a country that seeks to really provide sanctuary and shelter um uh, for those who are in need to those who are marginalized um and you know for for us this administration and its trajectory to expel, expunge, exile immigrants is completely unacceptable. It is a rolling back of civil rights um, through the different uh, proposed legislation and policies um, since the inauguration. Um, and DACA, the rec- recension of DACA is not um, you know, alone. What, what we've seen is a support for the RACE Act, something that would slash all immigration in half. Um, and something that has impacted not just Latino communities, but API communities writ large. That is how people immigrate. People want to be with their families when they move across oceans uh, to be here. Uh, we've seen, um, you know... The, the tremendous amount of racial profiling and, and racial violence through um, the Muslim ban um, we've inc- we've seen increased surveillance at airports at the border we've seen um, this sort of era of violence that aims to militarize the border proliferate detention centers turn workplaces into immigration checkpoints and families being torn apart for profit um, since the Trump administration um, began in January we've seen 80,000 people detained a day countrywide um, we've seen an increase in two billion dollars in budgetary allocation for profit, um, detention, and deportation. And it is really a political maneuver, um, the rolling back of the DACA program, to criminalize all immigrants. And we're here to say no, because immigrants are a vital and inseparable part of our communities and families. And really, the plan to end DACA is born out of cruel xenophobia, and the call for legislations like the Race Act capitalizes on violence that leaves immigrant families unsafe, and to garner momentum to undermine the democratic participation of all immigrants. And, you know, we, we've seen the immigrant community unite. Uh, we've seen the power that comes within periods of political crisis. It is political opportunity. And we have done that. Um, through the support of OCL, Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs and the mayor's office and, uh, many of our partners, we were able to provide know your rights, um, training and workshops on the ground. We were able to educate communities of their, um, fundamental rights. But, you know, this fear and panic, um, is not going to dissolve by itself. Um, we we need to continue building on the strong legacy that San Francisco has in fighting for um, due process ordinances in strengthening language access uh, rights and being able to provide um, really a safe environment for all immigrants to have equitable access to services in public agencies and for us to really remain a beacon for all immigrants to uphold intrinsic values of equality, inclusivity, and human rights for all. And, you know, we, we continue um, to do our work on the ground. And we continue to talk to people and make sure that the correct information is being delivered to them. And in partnership um, with various um, you know, community-based and public agencies, we will continue to advocate for policies that will support immigrants across the state as a bigger part uh, for a fight for racial, social,
0: um, and economic justice. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Pang. Our next speaker is Rich Whipple from the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs.
10: Good evening, commissioners. I just wanted to take a moment uh, to share with you some of the things that the city has been doing alongside community partners over the last few years to kind of place some context around local resources. Um, Obviously those are more critical and needed now than ever before. Um, But essentially for a quick history, um, after DACA was created, um, we are lucky to have wonderful community nonprofits in, in the Bay Area and in San Francisco. Uh, that really identified the need for the city to step in and provide resources to support legal services in particular. So since 2013, um, the city and county of San Francisco has provided funding uh, for a a range of um, initiatives that are operated through our office that you're probably familiar with, but that I'll recap briefly now. Um, It's really three main programs that we currently operate kind of under our larger DACA initiative. And the first is a community grants program. That program funds primarily legal services for application assistance, and then community outreach and education that you just heard Hong Mei speak to as well. Uh, The second kind of prong to that that's connected is uh, fee assistance. The application fee, as we heard from Sally, is very, um, very expensive, it's very prohibitive. And so making sure that there are resources for those who can't afford it, especially families with multiple applicants, is really important. And then lastly um, is our DreamSF Fellows Program, which is a workforce initiative to help those who may be entering the workforce in an official capacity for the very first time um, and providing um, leadership and professional development opportunities for DACA recipients um, and members of the undocumented community. Um, in total, the city invests over $600,000 per year and the funding goes to 15 different nonprofits throughout the city and county of San Francisco that do a remarkable job uh, making sure that we uh, reach out to those most in need. And just to recap some of the accomplishments, over 1,200 applications have been filed, which I think is remarkable in in San Francisco, where there are about 5,000 estimated eligible individuals for DACA, and over 4,000 general um, screenings and consultations have been provided. So we know a lot of folks that may be eligible for DACA or that have DACA might actually be eligible as well for a better form of relief, and so it's super important having that information, which is very empowering. So rather than talk in more detail about uh, what those uh, services look like, we've invited the nonprofit partners to come and speak to the amazing work that they do. So I will uh, yield my time.
0: Thank you very much, Rich. And I would like to, again, thank the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs for the work that they do. Um, My nonprofit was the recipient of a Dream SF fellow a couple of years ago, and it was a wonderful experience. I hope for the fellow, but certainly for our office, having, having such a, a young and vibrant uh, member of the community come and start their working career uh, in, in our non-profit. So thank you for the work that you all do. Thank you, Director Pan, and the staff of OSEA, um, and of course, thank you to the city for the support that it gives to our youth. Um, our next speaker is uh, Anna. Chair,
6: can I, could I ask a question of uh, Richard?
0: Um, we're going to do them at the end of the first five our, our five our five invited speakers thank you commissioner uh our next speaker is anna herrera from dolores street community services good evening
11: good evening commissioners thank you for inviting me to speak today since daca's inception uh the organization i work for dolores street community services has assisted over 200 daca applicants uh, as you all know and you'll hear today daca recipients are our coworkers, our friends, our family, they're simply put, our community members. Um, first and foremost, um, I just wanted to remind uh, Dolores Street believes that all advocacy efforts moving forward, when we're talking beyond DACA, um, need to come from the affected community members first. So before we dig into what legislation means, what um, we believe that we need to hear from those who are most affected and let them define the direction and strategy that our movement is going in and support those efforts. Um, And as a service provider, I can share with you that uh, we are very fortunate in San Francisco um, that we have such dedicated uh, community-based organizations and city agencies, uh, such as OSEA, um, because we have a lot of events. I have a calendar that our program, our Dolores Street prepared with DACA, workshops there's pretty much one every single day in san francisco if someone wants to renew their DACA application Um, so i think as a service provider our number one priority right now is to find anyone who uh, is eligible for renewal by october 5th and have them apply with one of our agencies and help them with the fees uh, if they are unable to provide them and i think What's great is that we've been working together for so many years through the collaborative that we all know each other, and um, if we can't do it, someone else in the collaborative mm-hmm. can, can provide those services. So that, that is where we are. So we're, we're really trying to get the word out. Um, we also need our outreach partners who, are, who have been, you know, such as CAA, where Hong Mei works, to get the word out on what the news means, who can still apply, who can benefit, and who can still be screened, which is basically everyone for other relief, other more permanent relief. Um, And finally, I would like to ask the commissioners for their support in thinking about creative ways um, to still support employment opportunities beyond DACA for our community, Um, creative strategies to maintain the livelihood of our undocumented community members, DACA recipients and non-DACA recipients alike.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Our next speaker is Abigail Trillin with Legal Services for Children.
12: Good evening, Commissioners. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, Legal Services for Children is also a community partner, um, and it's been our honor to to work on DACA cases since since the program started. Um, we just counted that we've had 235 cases approved, either initial DACAs or, or um, renewals in that time, and that's has obviously had a huge impact on, on those clients. Um, we're really devastated. Our um, clients, our staff, our community has been greatly, greatly impacted by last week's announcement, but we are absolutely not giving up. and. Um, just like we did after um, after the presidential election, our office and, and all the community partners basically worked to find everybody we could who could possibly renew their DACA um, before inauguration. And I know that our office actually found every single client who we could figure out was in that time period. And many other agencies did the same, and we worked together. We did a citywide clinic where 54 renewals were done in one day, in a few hours. And we're going to do the same thing. We have a citywide clinic that we're all working on together. Um, we are going to find everyone who possibly can renew. And so that's a way that we can can keep going um, until we get what we need, which is real reform. Um, I wanted to um, point out that the hardship fund, which actually Legal Services for Children has been administering um, since its inception, has been a huge, huge help to, um, to our clients and to many other clients throughout the city. I don't think there's anyone in San Francisco who's gonna be unable to reapply to renew their DACA based on funds because the city has made those funds available. And that's an incredible thing to, for us to be able to say to our entire client community, who, anyone who needs to reapply, we will take care of it. The funding is taken care of. All you need to do is show up at our office or any of these clinics and um, sign your papers, bring your pictures. That's it. And I, and that's been, I think, a, a large relief to be able to at least offer that. Um, I cannot understate how much, though, our community is uh, impacted and how much fear. Um, you know, many of our clients are young, high school and college, and they've actually grown up during DACA, um, so so they haven't really been prepared for a time where they might not um, have have a, a, a legal way to be here, albeit temporary. So it, it's really a shock, and and a huge um, blow. Um, so I really appreciate everything the city is doing to support. Um, our community. Um, I want to just give a huge uh, thank you um, to the Dream SF program, particularly. Um, we have also uh, hosted every single semester, and I think working with Dream SF fellows has been one of the great honors of my um, position. And I really hope that the city and the commission can be really creative about continuing that program no matter what. These are rock stars. I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, just um, these are absolutely the most impressive, phenomenal young people in our community. And I'm so honored to have worked with them. And I hope that the city can be very, very creative about making sure that they continue to, to be able to work in our, in our nonprofit agencies and whatever, uh, whatever um, opportunities are best for them. So thank you very much for all your support.
0: Thank you so much. Um, okay, so thank you to our first five speakers. Um, before I uh, open to questions, I do want to recognize uh, two elected members uh, that are here with us. Uh, firstly, Fiona Ma, who is member of the Board of Equalization. Welcome, Fiona, and I, uh, I'm gonna ask you to come and make some remarks uh, in a moment. Uh, and also, Hydra Mendoza, VP of the San Francisco School Board. Um, So we're delighted to have you here and a key member of Mayor Lee's staff and very much involved in everything that is done on the city's work for our DACA youth. So thank you for joining us this evening. Um, So commissioners, I would like to open it up for some brief questions and comments for any of our first five invited speakers.
13: If I may, through the chair. Commissioner Paz. I guess this will be a question for Sally and others. Um, the first one is, could you clarify sort of the the, the two-year phase-out period, um, and just sort of confirm that renewals are going to be processed and so forth. And you know, what are any risk factors that you see? The other is, we know there's some pending proposals for legisl- legislative proposals and. Um, Any distinguishing features between those, you know, amongst the two or three that that I'm aware you know, that we're aware of? And are there any that we should really be supporting as a commission?
8: Uh, Yes. So your first question about how the phase-out works, for those people who had applications pending the day of the announcement, um, Department of Homeland Security essentially said that they will continue to process those normally, partly because it's difficult for the federal government to return the filing fees. Um, So a lot of the process for how this will be done is laid out in a memorandum from Department of Homeland Security and frequently asked questions. So for people who expire during the six-month time period until March 5th, they have until October 5th to submit an application, and then it will be reviewed um, over the course of the next several months Currently, it takes anywhere from a few weeks to several months to have an application like that reviewed. Once it's approved, if it is approved, then it will be valid for another two years uh, from when it would have expired. Um, Anyone who falls outside of that time period, for example, their DACA already lapsed, they may not be eligible at this point. Anyone who has a DACA that will expire after March 5th, 2017, appears under this announcement to not be eligible to renew. So um the sort of best case sort of longest term scenario is that someone could have a DACA renewal approved March 5th that expired on March 5th meaning they would have DACA until March 5th 2020. Mm-hmm. That would be the very end of the DACA program. Um now, that's not to say that people won't ha- couldn't have a DACA denied and or have their DACA terminated in the meantime, but that's the longest time period. As for the bills, the bills, um, many of them are standalone bills right now that would benefit young people. They vary mainly in um, how long you have to have been in the country. Some of them are the America's Hope Act, which is a Democratic bill in the House. You only have to have been in the country since December 2016. Some of them set the date far much farther back. Some of them require you to have been in the country since before you were 16. Some of them require you to be in the country before you were 18. They, um, they, they don't, um, they, they're all similar in that, in, that, in that sense. And then they also vary a little bit in terms of the criminal bars, in terms of the kinds of things that would bar someone from eligibility. In terms of what bill to um, support, it sort of depends, uh, honestly, from the immigrant rights perspective, it depends, I think, on if you're supporting the best bill for the immigrant community or what you think is the most likely bill in terms of its viability. The best bill for the immigrant community is America's HOPE Act, which is a democratic bill in the House. Um, Some folks think that the more viable bill is the DREAM Act because it has bipartisan support um, in the Senate. Thank you, Sally.
0: Thank you, Sally.
14: If I may ask a follow-up question.
8: Thank
14: you. To all of the speakers. Um, So in terms of the um, best bill, the America's Act, what do you think that we can do in terms of solutions so we get a bipartisan uh, kind of, you know, bring everybody together to support that, the best will?
8: I think one of the things that is helpful to any of these bills is that um, although it's been... um, one, one of the strengths of these bills and why we've even had good policies in the past few years, despite uh, a, an, an environment in where there are so many deportations, is because it was immigrant-led. Um, so a lot of these policies have been crafted by the immigrant community and impacted communities themselves. But it certainly helps for um, to have the support of all other sectors that show that it's not a bill that benefits only those impacted directly, but that it benefits everyone. So that certainly has led to... Um, uh, to changing of hearts and really minds. Um, I think one of the delays to the DACA rescission, as well as um, some Republicans who've changed mind, is because they realize the fiscal impact or the other impacts on their state or their community. Um, and so having different sectors that can talk about the impact of not only the end of DACA, but the benefits of a legalization moving forward from their own perspective is also very helpful. Thank you very much.
5: If I may, I have one more question for you, Sally. Um, First of all, thank you for your presentation. Now, I I asked this question at law school, and I didn't really get an answer, so I was hoping you could shed some light on this. Uh, In San Francisco, as a sanctuary city, we have created an environment where our police officers, our school officials, our healthcare providers, we don't cooperate with immigration officers, so as they don't become immigration officers themselves. However, with our DACA recipients, they have had to go through extensive vetting at the the Department of Homeland Security where that information is there. Mm -hmm. Could ICE potentially have access to that information should Congress fail to come to a compromise within the six months? So that once DACA status expires for individuals, ICE could just go around and know where these individuals live and, and detain them. Could that be a potential scenario, and if so, what could the city do to protect DACA recipient.
8: Yes, so the concern about the sharing of confidential information in the DACA applications has been a concern since the beginning of the program. The Department of Homeland Security and their guidelines for the original DACA program as well as the rescission of the DACA program um, basically said that they would not use confidential information to turn over to ICE for enforcement activities while someone has DACA. And then they put in some caveats that that could be changed or modified at any time and or um, could be um, – They could still use that information if someone posed a national security or public safety threat. Um, What it means for DACA's, while they have DACA, is by definition they're theoretically still protected from deportation or arrest or detention by immigration authorities, assuming there's no new threat or um, or criminal activity Um, for those. Uh, who lose DACA, the government has said that if they fall under one of the priorities for referring someone for removal, they could possibly be threatened. Um, There's guidelines um, from the Department of Homeland Security as to who they refer to deportation proceedings. Included in those are folks who are um, suspected to be in a gang, um, have an egregious felony uh, record, perhaps present a national security or public safety risk or have other kinds of crimes. Um, what we anticipate seeing that we're very vigilant about moving forward is that um, we know that DACA's are considered one of the more sympathetic sectors of the undocumented community, which is um, why we've seen some support shift that direction. But what we fear moving forward is there will be an, an, ef- there will be an effort to criminalize uh, DACA recipients so they won't fit that sympathetic um, sort of characterization anymore and will fall into the larger uh, category that the Trump administration has tried to vilify, which is seeing immigrants as... As criminal, so what we've seen, for example, are people um, accused of being gang-affiliated and therefore falling under priority for deportation when they did not have any gang affiliation. Um, we also fear seeing things like working without authorization prior to DACA or using a social security number um, being really targeted as a criminal activity. So instead of hardworking student contributor valedictorian, whatever kind of. Um, sympathetic characterization they had in the past will get sh- shifted in the public mindset to um, a number of criminals who somehow snuck through the system under this earlier program.
15: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Sally. I'm going to take one other question from commissioners before we move on. We have a quite a, quite a lot of speakers to get through this evening.
10: Yeah, I have a question for Ann from uh, Dolores Street.
0: Anna. Anna, Anna I'm sorry.
10: Anna. <laughs> Hi, Anna. Uh, so I, I, uh, thank you for showing that uh, that calendar w- with all the events in, in San Francisco. I'm curious on um, what has been an effective method for your organization in terms of outreach um, and, and sending that message out to the folks, um, if you can uh, sort of speak on that.
11: We've been internally discussing what's the most effective way to do that. Um, all we've done so far we've been able to do is email blasts, but we're talking about how to get a texting platform since I think most a lot of people are more accessible via text. Texting platforms are expensive, <laughs> come to find out. Um, yeah. So that's something that we're, we're talking about internally right now about how to do that um, and how to capture all these folks that have applied through the OCO organizations um, so we don't miss anyone. But so if you all have strategies or st- ideas for how to do that, that's, that's what we're, we're trying to brainstorm that as well right now.
10: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Good question. Um, thank you all, and thank you to uh, our invited speakers. Um, we appreciate you taking the time to come and share your knowledge and your expertise with us this evening. Next, we will hear an update from the coordinator and some of the participants of the Dream SF Fellowship Program. Created in 2012 by OSIA to provide paid employment, leadership, development, and skills building to DACA holders, this program has been a phenomenal success. First up is Myra Jaimez, uh, Dream SF Program Coordinator. Welcome.
4: Hi, um, good evening. My name is Myra Jaimez. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the program coordinator for the Dream of Self Fellowship Program, um, and it's a professional and leadership uh, development program housed by OSEA, the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs. Um, and before I provide you with information about our very successful program and how um, we have helped many undocumented documented immigrant youth here in San Francisco and around the Bay Area, I want to take a moment to share with you a little bit about my story. I'm also a DACA recipient. I am one of about... Um, 80,000 DACA beneficiaries. However, I'm not one of the 154,000 eligible to renew within the one month window, so before October 5th, which means um, by March 2019, my uh, work permit will expire. Um, And these are really big numbers, but they pale in comparison to the 10 million undocumented immigrants who never qualified for DACA. Um, My parents and my extended family um, are are part of that pool. Um, And as I was writing this, I began to reflect on that. I began to reflect on the unspoken political division within my family, right? Um, A narrative between them and myself of deserving and undeserving, Deserving of what, you may ask? Deserving of a social security number, of benefits such as health care, retirement security, deserving of safety from deportation, and dare I even say, deserving of being recognized of my humanity. Yes, DACA provided me with a social security number and work authorization which has allowed me to uplift myself and have my professional skill set be paid accordingly. Because I have also been part of the undocumented immigrant pool before DACA existed that had to work under the table. So I do say I uplifted myself and now I have my skill set and it's recognized and paid. So it's important to feel valued in that sense. However, um, I'm not mourning its loss. I understood that this was a privilege that was being afforded to me. But I also knew that it wasn't enough, because my parents were not afforded the same privilege. And just to put that into context, I come from a mixed status family, which means myself and my parents are undocumented, and I have three younger siblings who are U.S. citizens, right? Right? an internal division within my family and then an extended division within my, um, e- uh, my extended family. After hearing that <laughs> on Tuesday, the news that DACA had been rescinded, my mother and my aunts and my uncle all sent me text messages, called me and said, it's okay, honey, don't worry, you'll, you'll get something, you'll get something, they'll figure something out. And I thought to myself... Why aren't you including yourself in these wishes and thoughts? Because there is a clear division, an unspoken political division within all of our families, all DACA recipients. It's really like placing a Band-Aid over a bullet wound. It will not stop the bleeding, but someone can say that they treated your wound. Trump has just ripped off this Band-Aid. After five years, And guess what? We're in exactly the same position that we were five years ago. No real solution to our immigration system and a deportation machine ready to pick us off. Under the Obama administration, he created DACA, but he also created a really efficient deportation machine. And now it's in the hands of Trump. However we are in a very important, pivotal, historical moment where we can change the narrative in our position. We can choose to end the deserving and non-deserving narrative. I'm asking you, the body, Immigrant Rights Commission, to do two things. Number one, stop using the word dreamer. Stop referring to immigrant youth or immigrant professionals as dreamers because it pits us against our own family members and it infantilizes us, and it disempowers us. I'm about to be 30. And the oldest DACA recipient, which started in 2012, and at the time, the eligibility criteria is that you had to be 31 years or under, which means that um, the oldest recipient currently is about 36 years old. So to call someone a dreamer and to have that narrative constantly be infantilizing you is offensive. I'm not a child. I'm an adult. I make choices. I have autonomy. And I am one of many recipients who also feel this way. So please, as you continue to advocate, as you continue to appeal to your constituents, do not refer to us as dreamers. We're innovators. We are um, initiators. We have, there are so many other words and terms that you can use. And please, dig into your vocabulary. I encourage you. Number two, I really wish and I hope that you also be bold, dream big, and continue to push the envelope wherever you can. And fight like hell. For example, if that means that you have to recommend to the mayor or the board of supervisors of San Francisco, that you should not comply with E-Verify, that is what you should do, right? We don't know what other racist, anti-immigrant policy Trump and his white supremacist White House are thinking up, but I'm asking you to act, and not just act, but to counter those policies. Do not let this moment pass you by. Do not allow yourself to be silenced we are not allowing ourselves to be silenced. You should not either. Not speaking or not acting is an act of compliance. Okay, thank you for listening to a little bit of my story. I wanna continue into some of the DreamSF program. (laughs) Um, Because it is one of the many resilient programs that exists in California, and California is well ahead of many other states, cities um, that has a lot of benefits and provides a lot of benefits to undocumented immigrants. The Dream program was created in 2014 to support the development of immigrant youth um, who are studying, who are working, who are living in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. Since its inception in 2014, we have 47 alumni. Um, We have worked with over 30 different community-based organizations that focus on working with immigrant communities. We have about, well, our fellows and alumni have worked more than 40,000 or have provided more than 20, I'm sorry, 40,000, 25,000 hours of community service to our organizations here in San Francisco. Um, many of the uh, organizations here in this room either have worked with our program um, or are currently working with one of our fellows. So I can guarantee you that most of your organizations or organizations in San Francisco that ha- work with immigrant rights have um, directly worked with one our, our fellows. Uh, many of our fellows have also been hired by their host organizations. Um, and something much more impactful that I think isn't really measured or I haven't been able to think of an accurate way to measure is the personal impact that having a program like this is for undocumented immigrant youth. Um, It creates a place where you can be your authentic self, where you can dive into your insecurities of what it feels like to navigate the world as an undocumented individual. It also highlights each other's resiliency. It highlights the many different countries and experiences and intersections of identities that we have. Um, There's lots of queer undocumented youth, black immigrant youth, uh, Asian immigrant youth, um, Muslim. The intersections are plentiful. And this is a program that really helps to uplift them, um, encourage their professional development, encourage their leadership skills, and really act on their boldness and have um, just a community that they can create for themselves and a network of professionals, really for the first time. Um, And I also encourage you to help us figure out how to sustain this program after March 5th, 2020, when the last DACA will expire.
0: Thank you. Mario, thank you. Our next speaker is uh, also uh, with ASIA and Mario Alvar- Alvarado Chifuentes. Thank you, Mario.
16: Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for the time and the space to address you all. Uh, like you just mentioned, my name is Mario. I'm a Dream SF fellow. I'm currently in Legal Services for Children, and I work in their DACA program. Um, last week's DACA announcement has had a direct impact on me and my family. Now more than ever, my family is in danger of being separated, yet the recent rhetoric especially the dreamer narrative, has thrown my parents under the bus to justify my ability to stay in this country. Because I graduated college from UC Berkeley and came to this to the U.S. when I was small, that somehow makes me more than ser- deserving than them. Yet my success could not have happened without my parents and my community. Today, I stand before you to ask that you please advocate for all immigrants, not just the so-called DREAMers. Therefore, I would like to ask the IRC to make a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor to ask for funds for legal screenings for all immigrants. As someone who works in a legal organization, I know the difference that a legal screening can do for someone. There are so many immigration relief out there, yet many folks don't know about it. At the end of the day, as the, Cal- the DREAM Act and many of these other legislatures come comes around, I will not throw my parents under the bus just for my legality in this country. Thank you.
0: Mario, thank you. Um, and to both Myra and Mario, um, we will do what we can to encourage the continuation of Dream SF and Mario, thank you for your suggestion for creating a program for legal, screen, legal screening for all immigrants in San Francisco. Um, it's duly noted and we will take that as something that we can look at moving forward and we can look at discussing at higher levels. So thank you both for your suggestions and thank you both for your openness and honesty. I would like at this point to invite Fiona Ma, a uh, member of the Board of Equalization. Um, Fiona, we're delighted to have you join us this evening uh, and welcome welcome you to address the, the commission. Thank you very much. And it's great to see so many friends uh, on this commission.
17: Um, and I do want to uh, reiterate that uh, our California State um, Legislative Delegation, all came from appointments, sitting on appointed boards and commissions, such as yourself, served at the local level and now serve at the state level. And I hope to see many of you, uh, follow because behind us, we need more folks like you to, um, to sit and defend. Um, at the state level, as you know, we've got a very strong delegation from the governor all the way, uh, down, uh, through the legislature in defending, uh, the rights of all of our citizens. Um, starting with, you know, Gil Sadio, who passed the Dream Act, allowing opportunities for our young people. Um, he also uh, um passed the uh, uh, the driver's license bill, allowing everyone to have a driver's license. Um, I personally uh, sponsored a bill that would make it difficult for public uh, law enforcement to confiscate cars, uh, people who don't have valid driver's licenses. So um, we are doing um, our part at the state level. I personally am the daughter of immigrant parents. Uh, they came to this country 60 years ago, uh, went through the naturalization process, were lucky enough to do that, um, became citizens. I was born here um, in the United States, um, and it is just a tragedy uh, what is happening at the federal level. And so whatever you guys do to um, help and protect um, all of our citizens here in California, I think, is very, very important. And we will uh, do what we can at the state level uh, to commit to also do what we can. And in terms of funding, it's all about the funding, right? Um, the federal government can threaten uh, to cut off our funds, but uh, we are the sixth largest economy. Uh, we are going to be working hard to make sure that we continue to uh, figure out how to backfill uh, all of the services and programs that um, are important and essential uh, to every- everyone. everyone here in the community. Um, I know San Francisco being a sanctuary city is also uh, committed to that um, same goal, and I'm just here representing um, a San Franciscan, someone who served on a board and commission, someone serving at the state level, that we are committed to fight um, against the federal government and protect our whole DACA community. So thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much, Fiona. Thank you for the work that you are doing and your colleagues at the state level, and uh, we may be back to talk to you about funding. Thank you. Um, so I am now going to call our next five speakers. Uh, so this is the order in which we would invite you to come forward and speak, beginning with Mohan Kanungo from Mission Asset Fund, Mark Rannenberger from Forward.us, Gerardo, who is an individual, Diana Flores from Dolores Street Community Services, and Althea de rivera Um Who doesn't? I don't have a listing of an organization uh, affiliation. Um, So those are our next five speakers. Uh, Mohan, welcome. Okay, I'm sorry, Chair? Uh, Through the Chair. Just
1: a reminder to speakers, if you do not want your image to be recorded, please let us know before you speak. And uh, we want to make sure that we honor your request. Thank you, Director.
18: Good evening. My name is Mohan Kanungo, and I'm the Director of Programs and Engagement with Mission Asset Fund. Mission Asset Fund was founded in 2008 here in the Mission District of San Francisco when Levi Strauss closed their factory doors. And it was the sale of that garment factory that provided the seed money for Math to get started. At that time, we didn't really have the particular solution in mind of how we were going to try to address this financial challenge that emerged in the community. But we wanted to approach our community with certain values, and one of those was respect. Respecting our communities as being financially savvy rather than pobrecitos or these folks that need to be saved and kind of helped. Another was really meeting people where they are, right? So instead of talking to people about the need to save for retirement, we wanted to devise products and services that were actually responding to their particular financial challenges. And then taking a strengths-based approach, so building on what they have. And we've been able to do that now since uh, for almost 10 years. And to date, we've originated $7.5 million in loans. And we've maintained a 99% repayment rate. Now, we've been able to do that because of the power of community, because people come together to borrow and loan money to each other, and because we've devised relevant products and services to continue to respond to the needs of the community. I'm very grateful for our partnership with OSEA, because with OSEA's support, we've been able to support both people that have applied for DACA, as well as citizenship. And the issue of DACA is particularly important because um, we've distributed now about $30,000 in match funds for DACA applicants um, just in the last year or so. Um, And those funds have reduced the principal of the loan in half for people that are paying the $495 for the filing fee. I'm here, though, specifically both to thank um, Director Pond and uh, Rich Whipple and everyone at that department in the cities um, and the commissions um, support for immigrant communities, but also specifically to enlist your support in um, letting the community know that we will be doing our zero-interest loan program um, through the October 5th deadline so that not just folks here in San Francisco and the Bay Area, but folks nationally can take advantage of a zero-interest loan. What we want to avoid is... Uh, families that are facing any kind of financial challenge, having to make difficult decisions, even um, in instances where there might be one Dreamer, one uh, DACA recipient who could qualify or could renew, but they don't have the funds to pay for it. Um, And so uh, we have uh, lending circles uh, for Dreamers, which, uh, as we heard from some of the other speakers, um, you know, there's there's movement to kind of let go of that term, but that's one website we have. We also have um, lc for daca so it's lc the number four and then daca.org so lending circles lc for daca.org those are the two sites that you can get out there in the community to let folks know um, both here in the bay area about the existing match funds that we can use to help make this even more affordable um, sponsored through osea as well um, as across the country uh, which we're making available um, and so I just really enlist, want to enlist your support, um, ask you to continue to support immigrant communities. Um, and if you have any specific questions or ideas uh, of how we can continue to respond to the financial needs of immigrant communities, I encourage you to reach out um, to myself. Um, before I go, um, I just wanted to share that uh, we, we, one thing we, re- we developed in response to a lot of the emergencies that folks are facing right now is a financial preparedness guide. Um, specifically to talk with immigrant communities about how to respond um, with the threat of detention and deportation. So I'll share that with you. Um, and we also have an emergency loan program for families that are facing <coughs> detention and deportation. Uh, we have some limited funds for that, but we are really leveraging support um, uh, now at a national level to, to keep um, that program going. And so if you have families that are facing those kinds of challenges, we, we may be able to help them as well. Thank you.
0: Wonderful, morning, Thank you very much. And again, this highlights the, the commitment that is there at, at the city and the nonprofit level for all of our immigrant community, whether they are citizens, documented, undocumented, um, and particularly the most vulnerable among us. So thank you for, for that. Uh, Mark Randenberger, welcome.
19: Uh, thank you, Commissioners, for allowing me to come up and address you. And, uh Thank you to Executive Director Pond and also to Rich Whipple from OSEA. I just want to recognize the incredible work that you know, they do on a day-to-day basis. I've had the pleasure of working with uh, Director Pond and Rich on a number of different occasions, and uh, the work they do is essential, particularly in the moment that we're in now. And I just want to say if there's anything we can do to continue supporting you guys, please let me know as well as the commission too. Um, so last Monday's decision to rescind the DACA program, I think we all recognize was a serious mistake, uh, and to myself and to the entire organization I work for, U.S. it was deeply disappointing, uh, not just because it's a humanitarian catastrophe, uh, but also because it will deeply impact uh, many of our communities in very personal ways. Um, many of my colleagues are DACA recipients. We have a large number on our staff. Um, they're also my friends, and I think many of the people in this room can say that as well. Uh, but beyond that, you know, it's an economic catastrophe as well. Um, in the state of California, DACA recipients contribute more than $11 billion to the state annual GDP per year. Uh, It's estimated that by rescinding DACA, it will impact the United States economy by more than $460 billion a year. That's based off the new study from the Center for American Progress. And so really from any angle that you look at it, rescinding the program really makes no sense. Um, I think I could go on for a long time about why we should not have done this, Um, but I think we're looking forward uh, to what we can do now. Um, And so in the last week and a half, uh, my organization, 4.us, has been working with members of the business community. Um, we put together a letter that brought forth you know, folks like Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, um, a number of others to call on Congress to pass the DREAM Act or another legislative solution that's similar as soon as possible. Um, and so we're going to be tireless uh, in our advocacy Um, We're working with those group of high-level CEOs as well as as many other business leaders, faith leaders, law enforcement leaders across the country uh, to put pressure on Congress uh, to take action immediately. And I think, um, you know, where we have found a lot of value uh, is working with, you know, as a bipartisan bipartisan organization, we work with Democrats and Republicans, but I think particularly for us, working you know, with Republicans here in California as well as across the country to make sure that they're stepping up, giving positive statements on the need to find a solution here uh, to pass a clean DREAM Act um, with no attachments to it as soon as possible. Um, and so we'll be engaging a number of high-level advocacy actions over the course of the coming weeks and in the coming months. Uh, and I'll make sure to loop in uh, Executive Director Pond and Rich as well as on what we're doing. Uh, and if we can partner and be helpful in any other way, please let me know. Thank you.
0: Mark, thank you. Our next speaker is Gerardo I'm sorry, and through the chair, there's been a request
1: um, not to um, show the speaker's image, please.
0: Thank you
15: Hello, commission. I am a current s f fellow, but I am here speaking on my own capacity um I remember after the election of President Donald Trump being in this building a few weeks later, but for a completely different reason. San Francisco had the opportunity to be proactive instead of reactionary. A former supervisor had the hindsight to prepare for various situations and expectations of how the current administration would react. And specifically for this situation we are placed in now. He asked the City of San Francisco for the Board of Supervisors and the Mayor of the city to provide $5 million for universal representation and immigration deportation hearings. The Mayor and the Board of Supervisors were not able to come up with a viable solution and instead only provided $1.2 million to disperse amongst various legal organizations for help. As a fellow, I work at one of those organizations that received that funding. That funding has been instrumental in helping lots of people facing deportation. And I'm not here to say that funding wasn't helpful. But I'm also here to say, working in that organization and seeing how those funds have been dispersed, it was nowhere near sufficient. All organizations that I know of are currently at capacity. Our community is fearful. Our community is under attack, and the city has not done enough. You. As of the board have been elected, or I should say, has been placed by being appointed by both the board and the mayor. So, in extension, you are a representation of the board and the mayor, and you have the ability to give recommendations to him. I ask you all to ask the mayor and the board of supervisors to increase substantial funding, because though we are. Though some of us are being under attack now with the, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Uh, Though some of us in our community are now getting some support, the rest of our community is largely being ignored and I will not have our community be divided. So I ask all of you to realize that though some of us are undocumented and unafraid, the rest of us remain afraid. And I ask all of you to not forget the rest of us because though I am a DACA recipient, And I will lose my DACA. I'm here fighting for the rest of us as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Gerardo. Our next speaker is Deanna Flores from Dolores Street Community Services.
2: Good evening. My name is Diana Flores. I'm the new director of organizing community engagement for the Lotus Street Community Services. So I'm taking this opportunity to introduce myself and also to support the comments uh, that our fellow attorney from the deport defense team uh, shared with you earlier. Um, last week we held, uh, we supported both the press conference and the rally that took place on the 5th of September when the announcement came out. But weeks before, we were having discussions about what would the announcement mean and all the implications. So we know that the community that we are serving has been living with the stress way before they received the news. And we understand that in this moment, a lot of our communities are being re-traumatized. I echo a lot of the sentiments that were shared before me about not negotiating the opportunities that we have in front of us as a city, uh, we uh, are a sanctuary city that leads the standards not only for what is possible but what will come next. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, division and probably uh, fear of that division. And we know that in the conversations we had last week, uh, we had uh, the assessment to first reach out to our clients and to hear from them what were their fears, but also prioritize the information that they needed to receive. And we understand that in this next six months, we need to prioritize our focus uh, and also assess where we're not paying attention. So we know that we are in in contact with some of the folks that have been uh, lucky enough to be served by some of the nonprofits that are here today. We also understand that there's many folks that were, as some folks uh, alluded, uh, were living towards the hope of being uh, initial uh, applicants of DACA. We also know that there's a population that uh, is feeling that uh, the priorities of the next six months, or even before October 5th, does not include them. Uh, And so the concerns that we heard from our community uh, and that I'm bringing to you today are the concerns uh, for the the harassment that we might not be monitoring, right? So in the workforce, folks being asked about their DACA status without it being even time for that yet. Uh, people who have active work permits who might be intimidated to negotiate over time or to uh, to negotiate even their work expectations because of this particular moment. We also re-shared our policies and procedures around ICE activity in our sites and we encourage you to do the same with your own agencies but also in affordable housing sites, in sites that you have the power to give memos around uh, policy and procedures that might be more mindful in this present moment. Uh, And I encourage you, as you look into recommendations from the community around legislations that might come up for your vote or for recommendations, uh, that you listen very closely to what the community has to say. I am a DACA recipient, and I also echo uh, the reality that Maida shared, which is that we are in a moment uh, to dream big. And if DACA didn't, if five years later DACA leaves us in the same situation, it might not be the thing we want to reestablish again. So um, I look forward to seeing you all uh, more often. And um, I also know that we are taking assessment of how to continue to work in partnership with Island, uh with the Office of OSIA. And so we are very lucky and very fortunate for the structures that you have set up in these past years. And we look forward to you setting up more. Thank you.
0: Diana, thank you for being here this evening, and we look forward to seeing you uh, in the future also. Um, And to your point of people who are taken advantage of or who are put in very difficult situations because of their undocumented status, we want to hear about that. So as they present to any organization that's in the room, that's the information that needs to come to the Immigrant Rights Commission. That's what we need to know. We need to hear what's happening on the ground so that we can then move forward and make our recommendations. thank you. Um, Our final speaker is Althea. Welcome. And if there are any additional uh, members of the public who want to make comments, please, Fill out one of the green forms delivered to Director Pan on this site. And uh, we will invite you to speak uh, following Althea.
3: Um, good evening. Um, my name is Althea de Rivera. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just an individual. <laughs> but I'm also a DACA recipient. Um, please forgive me, I might be a little emotional. Um, I'm here to talk about my story. I came here when I was four years old, in the year of 2000. I am 22 years old now. In my last 17 years, I only had a mom. (sighs) Last week, on Tuesday, I got a text message from my sister telling me she would do anything and everything to protect me. To wake up to that news, the only things that ran inside my mind was what was going to happen to me and who was going to take care of my mom. my mom. Five years ago, in 2012, the DACA was introduced. And within those five years, I was able to graduate with honors find out what I wanted to do in my life, what my purpose was here, support my mom financially, obtain my license, which I thought I was never going to do, buy my own car and be as independent as I could be. Five years later, my freedom is being taken away and so is my independence. There's a lot of emotions that run inside my head. I'm angry and I'm sad. And the only questions that I ask myself is, is this where my future stops? Is this it? What's going to happen tomorrow or within the next two years? I don't meet the requirements to renew my DACA as mine expires in 2019. I'm not going to sit here and watch history happen right in front of my face and not do anything about it. DACA was supposed to be here to stay. That's what I had embedded into my mind five years ago. DACA was here to stay just like I am here to stay. I was given my freedom, and like I said, now it's being taken away. No human being deserves to be illegal. And I'm not leaving without a fight. So I ask all of you to support me, along with 800,000 DACA recipients, to defend DACA and fight back.
0: Thank you. Athea, thank you. Thank you to all of the DACA recipients who have stood up this evening to tell your stories, to show very clearly the amazing young people that you are, the amazing young adults that you are. Um, You are the epitome of what the DACA program was meant to be about. Um, You have risen to all of the challenges that it put in front of you in terms of being the best that you can be and doing everything that you can do and we are going to do what we can do to ensure that at the very least within the city and county of San Francisco that you continue to be supported and that you continue to be cared for as we figure out what the path for DACA takes. we are going to call on Congress to do what they need to do. The ball has been put squarely in their court. We've waited a long time for them to do something. And hopefully we won't have to wait too much longer, that this will give them the impetus, that the the, the outcry and the, the hurt and the pain that's being felt across the country, with every DACA recipient, everybody that I have heard speak since the announcement on the 5th, has been... It's been so heartfelt and so heartbreaking and it is beyond me if Congress cannot come together and and deliver on this and deliver on all of these young people who bring so much to the United States and are the future of the United States. We are a nation of immigrants and we cannot forget that and we should not forget that. So thank you all for being here this evening. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your courage and we wish you all the very best, and we will walk with you on that journey as we move forward. Vice Chair Paz, do you have anything to add?
13: Uh, thank you, Chair Kennelly. Um Again, I also want to thank all the presenters and the recipients of DACA. Um, primarily, I want to acknowledge um, your courage. And I think we hear you. We need to use your courage to inspire us to do more. Um, and what I think, um, what we can promise here uh, is that we will do everything in our power to assure that here in, San, in city and county San Francisco, you will never be alone. Um, and we need to continue to work hard. And we need to use, your, again, your courage to inspire us. So again, thank you. Uh, Thank you again for being here this evening.
0: Uh, A final call for any public comment before I open the floor to my fellow commissioners. Seeing none, Commissioner Insani. I really want
14: to ditto what you said. I really want to thank all of you, but specifically Myra, the last five uh, speakers, um, you, um, I was so emotional here, I'm um, um, but what I want to ask you is, uh, you know, like Atiyah said DACA was here to stay, but DACA wasn't here to stay, because we knew that if there's a different administration, um, it would be rescinded. We, uh, and as uh, Diana said, why did we not dream big? I um I, myself, I want another Simpson-Metsoli bill. I think when we say dream big, a lot of you are too young to remember. But a lot of members of my family um, are beneficiaries of that, grandfathered, the 12 million immigrants, Ill, you know, undocumented. So we should work towards that. Um, five years ago in 2012, as Mayra said, President Obama, yeah, established DACA it's an executive order we know that it's not going to stay why didn't we just sit there why didn't we do anything why didn't we go there and fight we've heard these i mean i remember i prepared. i mean my heart goes out because everything that i heard today i have heard before i've heard when our uh, undocumented young people, as Myra said, let's not call them dreamers, let's call them inventors. They came here and they said they cannot make, actually they cannot fill applications, they do not want to do that. Because they have to put the address, and the address would be the address of their parents. And then they're going to come after their parents. So we knew that, why didn't we do anything? And that's my plea, again, yes, thank you, I'm inspired by you. We we have to dream big, we have to ask for a big bill, yes, clean bill. But something like Simpson-Mazzoli that happened during Reagan administration, during a Republican administration. So we should not alienate the Republicans. You should just kind of you know, get out there and just shake the Congress and say, "We want something like that. We have 12 million undocumented. Let's grandfather them." I know I might sound this might seem unachievable, but I've seen it. It was achieved. And I've seen members of my community and my family be beneficiaries of that. And go ahead and stay in the country, get their legal status, be entrepreneurs, create many jobs, the same that all of you will be doing that. Why not that? Thank you so much for listening.
0: Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner?
7: I want to make a statement. Uh, Myra and after that um, Myron, I believe? Mario. Mario. So, uh, go Bears. So, I went to graduate from UC Berkeley as well, and I can completely relate with what you mean when you say that your family was a part of of that process. But besides that, um, I really want to thank you for sharing your perspective because I think that the way we're forming the debate is very important and the way we're using words, it's very important because. Uh, Yes, there's dreamers, and yes, there's people doing amazing things, but there's also your parents who are a part of that journey. And some of them are no longer in their 20s or in their teens. And I think that there's a bigger pool of people. And I think that overwhelmingly, as the commissioner just stated, I think that this is a very bipartisan issue. It's a family issue. People have been living in this country for more than 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. They speak English, or even if they don't speak English, they're contributing to the communities here. They have no ties to uh, any other uh, geographical area. And by all means, they're contributing here. And I think it very much does not make sense to break apart families. And I think that when we put it in that context, I think that I think that it, it, there is bipartisan support. I mean, this is the state where, as the previous commissioner pointed out, we had uh, Governor Reagan and then President Reagan, and and we did push the ball forward on immigration. And with an executive order, it is something that could be repealed. But now that it, the ball is in the hands of Congress, we need to push hard, and we don't need to push incrementally. We need to go all out and we need to just finally, once and for all, pass a good bill that helps these people who, by all means, they want to be Americans, and they already are Americans besides their their legal status, but we need something that's going to give them legal status they can work peacefully, they can go to school, they can raise families, they can contribute, and most importantly, they can live under peace. So I want to thank you for sharing that. I think that's something that I, for one, haven't heard often addressed, and I think that's one of the most important things that needs to be addressed.
0: Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, Director Pan.
13: Come on. chair.
0: Yeah. If I may, uh, Director Pan has an announcement she needs to make, and then Commissioner Ricardo.
1: Uh Commissioners, with your permission, I just want to make an announcement before everyone leaves, and. Um, also wanted to thank the Commission for uh, its willingness to listen I think um, our office as a a program office has really been struggling uh, these past couple of weeks working with our community partners to see if we can come up with solutions and I mean real solutions are going to be helpful to people right now we have 20 um, dream SF fellows and a total of 65 that have gone through the program um, and we're concerned not just about them, but the impact this is going to have on their families. Um, and as you heard from the stories, um, you know, we serve the people of San Francisco. Um, I know uh, one of our speakers referenced citizens. We don't just serve citizens. We serve all the people um, who work, live. Or come to school in san francisco that's our responsibility i know that the commission is clear on that so we ask you to partner with our office and i wanted to point out in your packets that there's going to be a daca renewal workshop on uh september 23rd my entire staff just spent uh, seven days working straight and on saturday they spent more than 10 hours um, at our pathways to citizenship uh, workshop it would be nice to see my commissioners there you know whether you you can you can help us by speaking another language helping us to translate and and interpret um you can just greet people make them feel like you care about them but show up at this this is important You know it's really great that we're listening to our speakers but these young people need our support their families need our support and you can come out on the 23rd there's a volunteer line you see any member of the staff um, I would like to see you there Um, this is our last shot at trying to get as many people through the process who can get through the process and we have looked into our budget um, digging up every penny that we can to uh, waive all the fees so that we are going to cut checks with our community partners on site um, so that somebody can walk in, get the assistance they need, the legal screening, and walk out with a check that's made out to the Department of Homeland, uh, um, the DHS department so that they can walk out with a full package and take that last opportunity to renew their DACA status it would be great if our commissioners every single one of you even if you can't stay there the whole day come by and talk to um these human beings uh because i think that's going to make a difference let them know you care um you know i know you care uh, but come out and take action with us uh, because that is the way right now we need your help Um, my my staff can't work seven days every single week what well, they do, but they just can't. Um, so, we could use your help. Um, so, please, if you have questions about how to volunteer, just see Rich or, or ISIS or uh, Melissa, Jamie, or myself. Um, we'll definitely put you to work. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Director. Um, and I would like to acknowledge the work that staff consistently does workshop after workshop after workshop, particularly with Pathways to Citizenship. Um, 250-something screenings done on Saturday. That's phenomenal and extremely commendable. Uh, and we should be there to be with you and support you. So any commissioners who are available for the DACA renewal, um, as Director Pan says, you don't need the legal skills. Uh, we can all say hello and welcome people and have them have them. Assist them as they walk on their path and and with their on their journey to to hopefully legalization, uh, Commissioner Ricarte.
20: Um, yes, uh, thank you. I just wanted to say, um, especially to the DACA recipients who shared their personal story. Um, I know Alfia said that she said she was sorry that she's just an individual, and you're you're not just an individual. You have us behind you. You have your community behind you. Um, and I know we live in San Francisco. It's a progressive city, and we all um, help each other. But sometimes it's really good to hear some concrete things that folks are doing, as some of our community partners shared earlier, how they're really going after to make sure those who are eligible for DACA get to apply. Um, and folks who uh, talk about also including not just DACA recipients but all um, Immigrants. There are uh, undocumented immigrants and all immigrants who are being affected by what's happening in our country now. Um, So don't forget that um, we're here, uh, the city's here for you, and uh, we're all doing as much as we can to help and to support. And if there's anything specific, I think that we are not addressing or has fallen through the cracks in some way, I hope that you would uh, reach out and share that uh, so we can do something about it. Um, and to to that end, um, our speakers mentioned uh, a number of things that they wanted the commission to look into, to perhaps recommend to the mayor or to the board of supervisors, and um, I... Myself, and I'm sure some of my commissioners probably feel the same way. There are some things that uh, I need to know more about, and I'm trying, I'd like to find out how we can get perhaps briefed on some of those things that they mentioned, um, like the uh, e verify um, legal screening for the funding for legal screening uh, that. Mario, I think one of our speakers mentioned <laughs> that he wished that there was more, um, and also um, from the Dolores De- Del- Street folks uh, talking about the other areas that um, immigrant, uh, other parts of the immigrants' lives that are affected, um, at, at, you know, with uh, with housing, with just the stress and the anxiety that people feel and where they go for that. So. Um, I'd like to ask the chair if uh, how we can get more information so that the Commission can make a a proper proposal with those with those um,
1: areas
0: sure director pon I'm going to defer to you on some of what you may have that you can share with us Mm -hmm. thank Thank you thank you chair
1: Uh, Commissioners I think there's a number of ways and I know uh, there's such you know, a long list of things that we would love to update you on. One of the ways uh, that we could probably do it uh, quick and easy um, so that you can make some decisions and take some action immediately, Um, we've been trying to schedule your uh, mid-year retreat. And this is an opportunity where we bring in experts um, the staff can brief you on a lot of these issues. And more important, the commission can use the time to plan what it wants to do as a body and how it wants to make an impact and be helpful to our immigrant communities. So we would only ask that um, a couple of months ago, the uh, staff did poll you and we got only seven responses, and none of them were all in, on the same date. But with your permission, I'd like to have our clerk uh, re poll you this week. And um, I'm just going to ask you to please do whatever you can um, to pick a date coming up soon that we can sit down and brief you on all these issues. And then we'll be glad to send you a summary briefing. But there's nothing like being able to talk about the issues, hearing from the experts yourself, and then figuring out what your game plan is and how you're going to um, commit to the work and, and advance the cause over the next year or two. Um, that was on my uh, old business, um, so I could check that item off. But we'll be glad, the staff will be glad to provide you with the background information. Thank you. There's just, you, you know, we just get a ton of memos and um, just trying to keep up with all the actions, not just from uh, the president, but all the people that he has appointed and all of the departments and these um, You know, sometimes changing a form, changing a regulation is going to have drastic impact on not just immigrants, but people of color, uh, poor people, um, many communities, and without us even realizing it. So um, I think the sooner we can get you briefed on uh, what's going on, um, the sooner you can take some action, make some recommendations.
20: Thank you, Director Pond. Um I'm I'm wondering if there's some way we can do the polling for this retreat sooner than um having our clerk send us another poll. Can we pick a date now that now that most of everybody's here? I mean I don't I don't know. I'm just saying um we need to act and um it seems like we keep delaying, and I understand everybody's busy, and we all have other obligations. Um, but perhaps there's a date already um, that we have upcoming that we can instead um, turn into the retreat date, since it's a date that people have. Um, but anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that back to you.
0: Th- Understood. Um,
1: maybe after. Maybe after? Sure. Yeah, if if I can ask you to stay A little bit after the meeting is adjourned so that we don't hold up um, all these good people have come here to you know uh, listen and share their stories and then we can do that right after great okay awesome perfect
5: I'd like to share a few words as well if I may Um, first of all thank you everybody for coming out here tonight most especially thank you to our DACA recipients for your time and your willingness to open your hearts to provide us a glimpse into your lives. I truly believe that if our members of Congress heard these stories and all the stories of those who are affected by the President's rescission of DACA, I think they would get a move on and pass a bill as quickly as possible. So I'd like to encourage all of you and all of us uh, to fight. We're all united and to continue to call our Congress members and our senators so that they can quickly pass a comprehensive immigration reform that most especially also protects DACA recipients. I had one quick question for Mohan from Mission Asset Fund. Uh, When we met a couple weeks ago at the New American Media Roundtable, you had mentioned that Mission Asset Fund provides loans at 0% to those at the naturalization workshops. I was wondering, does that still apply for those who would like their DACA renewals? And will you be there at the workshop on September
18: 23rd? Yes, <clears throat> to both of those questions. Um, so, our loan program has always been zero interest. Uh, we've done zero interest loans to help immigrant entrepreneurs with or without legal status. Um, they've gone on to build successful businesses. Um, we've helped, uh, we innovated that to do just DACA loans. Um, basically, after the announcement, within a month, we were doing DACA loans. Um, uh, five years ago and we've done it for citizenship and now we're doing it for folks that are facing detention or deportation so definitely don't want to paint any image that we're only really helping those that are the most deserving um, we want to be responsive to all of the needs um, so folks for instance that are uh, having to deal with the cost of bail or detention um, uh, legal costs with an asylum claim we can help with some of those costs and it's a zero interest loan as well
5: great thank you
0: Sure. Thank you, Mullen. Commissioner Wang.
6: Yes. I just wanted to say that we were all very moved. We heard your eloquence, we heard your anger, we also heard your despair. And that's what I wanted to address. I know some of you may feel like you're just a drop in a bucket a drop in an ocean, but I wanted to let you know something. I want to ask you something. A shift of less than 100,000 votes in last year's election in three key states would have changed everything. 100,000 votes, less than that, that's a drop in the bucket. The 2018 elections are coming up. The 2018 elections start, starting now. If you're angry, if you feel despair, channel that anger. Put your walking shoes on, your eloquence, your anger. Speak to people in your community. Maybe not in San Francisco and the Bay Area. But our communities extend throughout the state, throughout this country. When I was Vice Chair of the State Democratic Party, I didn't speak in San Francisco. I went out to Podunkville. (laughs) I went out to places I didn't know existed, because that's where I needed to go. That's where I needed to speak, because those were the seats that we needed to change. Those were the votes we needed to get. Don't be angry, go out and make change. Fiona talked about that. Today we're sitting here, I remember when Fiona was sitting here. Someday you guys are going to be sitting here, you know? Someday I'm going to look at you and I'm going to see the new Fiona in all of your faces. That's what I urge you to do. Use your anger, use your eloquence.
0: Don't despair. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Wang. At this point, I'm going to end this session of our hearing this evening, uh, again, thanking everybody again acknowledging all of the ideas, the suggestions, the work that is to be done, the work that we can all do, both as individuals, as members of commissions, as members of political parties, as members of organisations. Our work has never been more. um, And I think I've been saying that now for 18 years, but I'm still saying it. Um, And we will do it. We stand up and we brush ourselves off after every bad result and every bad announcement and every bad decision, and we continue on because we know what is right, we know what is fair, we know why we are here, and we know what needs to be done to make the United States the country that it is, the country upon which it was founded. It's a country of immigrants, it's a country of democracy, it's a country... Of of freedom and justice and fairness and rights and that's what we need to strive every day to make sure that that is what it is and that is where it goes we have many hurdles we have many people who are working against us which means we have to work harder they're not our barriers are not insurmountable our opponents are not infallible and they are not all-powerful We have very strong voices. We have very capable and competent members in our community who can stand up, who can be elected to office, who can walk precincts, who can show up at rallies, who can knock on doors of Congress, and that's what we need to do, and that's what we will do, and that's what this commission will do, as best we can, as much as we can, and as loudly as we can. So again, thank you all for being here this evening. Thank you, all commissioners, for your comments, your thoughts, and your commitment to the work that we have ahead. Item number five in our agenda is old business. Commissioners, are there is there any old business to bring before the commission? Director Pan. Uh, very quickly,
1: commissioners, just a couple of items. Um, you have a special hearing on October 2nd, and this is on um, The travel ban I would ask for your assistance Mm -hmm. in getting the word out to the community Um, you know we have uh, an extraordinarily talented social media expert um, in our office named Jamie Richardson but we all need your help to get the word out to the community um, uh, because we want to get these stories on the public record um, you are going to be writing a report and making a set of recommendations um, Like you did four years ago um, to the mayor the Board of Supervisors our elected officials at the local state and federal level and so um, We need to have your your help in getting people to uh, the hearing room and then just uh, One little item that you have many of you asked us about is just an administrative item um, for those of you who have requested uh business cards uh every year the office pays for your uh, set of business cards for the commission uh following city practice i want to let you know that cards have the uh, will use the official commission address telephone number and email um, that is standard for all commissions so that'll be the 50 FANS s office with our number and our suggestion is uh, for co- uh, commissioners who would like to share their personal information that you make mailing labels and you can just adhere that to the back of your your business card um you also some of you also asked about an email address and we'll catch up individually with you i i think if the commission could um commissioners could each um set up an independent email address you know if you're on gmail right now just set up an extra address that the staff can use and that would just uh, be for the use of the Commission so all of your Commission mailings and information will go to that email and you can keep that separate from your personal or your uh, organizational email that would be our suggestion and that'll keep you in compliance and help you keep uh, you know a number of emails that we will be sending you with information on some of the issues that um, uh, Commissioner Ricarte's suggestion. suggested um, We'll start sending those to you right away. So just a little administrative item.
0: Thank you, Director. You may.
20: Um, we have our special hearing on the October 2nd, right. and we usually have our monthly meeting October 9th. Il- Is that meeting still also books? Uh,
1: no, Commissioner. Every year we run into the same uh, issue because that is a holiday for Indigenous Peoples Day, and that's why we changed it this year. Okay. Uh, the Commission
0: voted earlier in the year to change the date. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, any other items of all business? Item number six: new business. Are there any announcements or new business to bring before the Commission?
5: I have one announcement. Could uh, tomorrow at. Mission Campus of City College, there will be a Know Your Rights training. I'll be conducting one of those trainings. Uh, They'll be in classroom 107 and 108, so if you know anybody who may be interested in attending, we'll be passing out red cards and also explaining uh, what everyone's rights are, and specifically what those who may be at risk of having their DACA expired, will be going over that as well. So if you could spread the word, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank
0: you. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other new business commissioners? Director? None. Thank you. Uh, There being no other business, uh, I would like to adjourn the meeting. I would like to thank all of my fellow commissioners, staff, and especially our community members for joining us this evening. Thank you.